Well, tonight we carry on uh, in our series in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we are, believe it or not, coming to the end of our study. Um, we're just two weeks away this week and next week uh, left in this book, and, uh, and through the series, we have been looking at different examples of how it is that the church is a loving family. And we, we've seen how uh, the church is a loving family in, in so many different aspects of life, through giving, through ministry, through right living. And I don't know about you, but I've been so encouraged as the last few weeks we've uh, seen Andrew and, and Jason unpack that. And I've uh, just been really, um, really um, encouraged and challenged, is the word I'm looking for, as uh, coming away from those times. And, and I hope you can say the same, that you've taken away uh, just just time to sit underneath this and think about it and uh, to really be renewed in your heart and mind. And so as I, I preach this evening, I, I do so with the caveat that uh, all that I'm about to say that we're just really going to lean into the power of the Spirit tonight. We're going to trust Him and all that uh, He wants to do and say. And we approach the evening having had some things shuffled about a little bit uh, earlier today. And I wasn't initially on the road to preach tonight, but... Uh, and we're, we are here, we're doing it. Mark took on well unexpectedly this morning and say, I say that not to point out anything about myself, but really to point out how regardless of who is here preaching, we do so under the, the reliance upon the Spirit that He will, because He's good, He will reveal His Word to us, that He will unpack it, He will teach us, He will equip us. Uh, not about the person standing here, but because he's good and his word is good. And so we trust that tonight. Um, so two more weeks, believe it or not, until we move on to our Advent series, which is mind-blowing to me that we are here at, at, at Advent time. Um, and as we've thought about giving ministry and right living, we're going to think about tonight that the church is a loving family through partnership. Partnership. Um, and as a church family, the reality is, that we are a loving family through partnership. And this overlaps with a lot of what we've already looked at in the series through the last few weeks. And, and we're thinking about this idea of partnership because this is what we see in our passage tonight. And so if you have your Bible, turn. I welcome you, invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16 to the very end, almost the final couple of verses. That'll be next week. And uh, what, what a fun thing to be able to say to... Mark began this series and ended the series after a couple of years, so that's kind of fun. Uh, I don't know about you. Do you have those moments where you, you have things on your to-do list, and when you tick them off, it's like, ah, yes. I get Sometimes I have that emotion, but mostly uh, it's dread when it comes to, to lists like that. But uh, I digress. First Corinthians 16, starting in verse 15, it says, Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we just say again tonight that we, uh, we need you. We need your spirit to help us, help us to discern what, you're want, what you want to say through this passage, what your word has to say to us. Help us to be able to rightly divide the word of truth tonight. 
We trust you. We know your word is good, so teach us. Equip us. Make much of yourself in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last couple of Sundays, Andrew and Jason have joked about how they have drawn the short straw, and uh, I can relate to that tonight. I can also um, contend with them in that contest, I think. But at the same time, you know, it's been amazing to see how faithful the Lord has been through His Word in those two weeks specifically. Um, I mean, Jason, un- two weeks ago, that was unbelievable. He, he kind of made a big deal about it being a difficult passage, but went on to just preach an, an incredible, very powerful sermon. And then Andrew last week, it was kind of funny, he did the same thing, and then there again, it was like such a great, rich sermon. And so uh, I, I love that. I'm expecting him to show off again tonight as, as we dive in. In this passage, as we take an initial look, it feels like Paul is really just kind of finishing off the letter with, with, uh, with some last few items, kind of a hodgepodge list of random things. And the danger for you and for me tonight as we approach a passage like this, especially as we see how it's different from other sections of Paul's writings that feel really weighty and meaty and theologically rich, the danger is that we think it's less important things like this, that that is really not a lot of gravity to it or doesn't hold the same kind of authority to other sections of Scripture. When you examine the works of the Apostle Paul across the New Testament, there's a common trend to his writings. And, and theologian, theologians, commentators, they all agree. And I mean, there's wide-ranging agreement that you can divide Paul's writings into two main categories. One is that either they are indicative or they're imperative, indicative, that describing that this is who God is. It, it indicates to us who God is and explains and expounds upon that. Or it's imperative. This is, this is who God has called you to be. Uh, you, 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 therefore, must go and do these things. But when you read this passage, it's very easy for us not to fit into one of those two categories and to instead to treat it like something a lot lesser, similar to like an email or a WhatsApp group feed. Uh, but let me remind you again tonight, as we've reminded ourselves so often from the Scripture in, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, and, and I said earlier today that if you don't have this memorized, these two verses, I highly encourage you to do that because this is one of those you want to hold on to. For, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired. And that, that word literally comes from the Greek. It, it, it means God breathes. If you transliterate, it literally means God breathes. So all of Scripture, God uses uh, the personality. He inspires men to, to write uh, the words of God, and, and, and it's, it's as if it is God breathed right onto the page. We can trust it, so we can profit from it. We can be corrected from it. We can be trained in righteousness from what we read, even from 1 Corinthians 16, 15 to 18. In this passage, Paul wants to talk about three men, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. I was trying to decide, man, which which one of those is the coolest? Because I think all three of those names are super cool. I don't know, riding into town one day, who is that? That's Fortunatus. You know, I just think that's the coolest thing. And as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he doesn't go into a lot of detail about any of them, but he does refer to Stephanus more than to the other two. And he even especially mentions Stephanus' household. And Paul presents these individuals as a means of us understanding the the importance of partnering together for the sake of the gospel. 
Now, when we speak of partnership, what do we, what do we mean by that? What, is, what does that mean? Because that can get lost in translation a lot of times. This is one of those words that can easily be just tossed around in, in church circles or amongst Christians, and we don't actually have an accurate understanding of what it is when we're referring to. Uh, and, and we can even have different uh, innate uh, uh, definitions tied to it, and then we just kind of miss each other as we talk about this. And without question, partnership can mean different things depending on who it is that we're engaging with, depending on who it is that we're partnering with even. So let me give you four examples of partnership within the life of Denniston Baptist. First, we have partnership with the Baptist Union of Scotland, a family, a network of churches that across Scotland that we partner with. Secondly, we have partnership with churches in this local area, in the east end of Glasgow, and specifically through a prayer meeting that takes place every six weeks or so. Thirdly, we have a partnership that uh, there's a partnership that we have with local Baptist churches in this specific part of the city, not just the broader east end, but actually in this, this uh, area, uh, Springburn and, and Shettleston. And those are two churches we're going to unpack more in our DBC Life meeting on. November 30, so that's a plug to come along to our DBC Life meeting, 30th November. Um, and finally, there's that partnership that we have just amongst us, our local church, our family of faith, Denniston Baptist Church. In each of these examples, there are varying degrees of partnership and how we relate to one, one another and, and the actions that take place. And each one of them is a blessing in different ways. But I want us to understand that when Paul highlights partnership here in this passage, the closest thing that it resembles in our context today would be that last example, the partnership that we have together as a local family of faith, as the local body of Christ. Without question, this is the most important partnership. Out of all the partnerships that we have, for the sake of the gospel, this is the most important one. And we've talked the last few weeks about the need not to forget that we're a part of something bigger, the universal global church. We've been, for three straight weeks, weeks been unpacking that and talking about that. But in our day-to-day, the local body is the means through which we live that, up, live that out. Uh, the, this fellowship of Christians is the context that we're called to serve the Lord as a community. So the question we need to ask this evening is, what does this partnership look like for Paul and the Corinthians and for us? Well, Paul gives us four very important ingredients that we can take from this passage that help us understand more clearly and biblically how it is we should partner together for the sake of the gospel. And the first ingredient is this, conversion. Conversion. Look back at verse 15 with me. It says this, Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia. Now, in reading that, the thing that may come to your mind as it comes to my mind is, well, who in the world is Stephanus? <laughs> the truth is we don't know a lot about this guy, Stephanus, or his household. But what we can definitively say from this passage and from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 was that Stephanus came to a saving faith in Christ. We know that about him, that he was a follower of Jesus, that he professed faith in Christ. We can also safely stipulate that it wasn't just Stephanus who came to faith, but his entire household. So presumably his wife, if they had any children. It wasn't just him and his wife, it was him and his household. So if they had children who came to faith. Uh, the Greek word here is from the word, comes from the word oikos, which really would have been your, your inner circle that you lived life with. So, I mean, this even could have included in, the, in Greek culture really, really close friends along with immediate family. So it could be that not just his immediate family, but 
their whole kind of oikos together came to faith. I mean, right there together, all at the same time. And they, they, they would have heard the gospel and, and believed it and said, yeah, we, all of us, yeah, you, yeah, me too, yeah, yeah, yes, we want to follow Jesus, all of us. We know this because Paul describes them here as the first fruits of Achaia. It's not him, it's them, they are. That term first fruits, it's something that we unpacked a few weeks ago when we were, we were talking about the collection for the Jerusalem church. It's an Old Testament reference to the harvest. In our passage, dealing with the collection a few weeks ago, we talked about how this, the practice of the tithe was, was taken from this concept of first fruits. How in an agrarian society, the practice was to give God your first and your, 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 your best of the, of the initial harvest. And even though you didn't actually know if anything else was going to be produced after this first bit was produced, this was an act of faith that, God, I trust you that I'm going to give you this, trusting that you're going to continue to let the harvest come. And that's the same way. That I love that. You're the first fruits of Achaia. They were the first converts. And, and we see, uh, we won't read through the passage, but you see in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 5 to 8, where Paul was commending the church in Thessalonica for their faithfulness. And he makes reference to a movement of the gospel that swept not, not through just Thessalonica, but across other areas. And he names Achaia there. So we know there was a movement of the gospel. And that tells us that this family was the first of many, the first fruits of many in that area to come to faith. One other way we know that this family came to faith all at the same time is through what Paul writes back in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.16, Paul says that he baptized the entire household of Stephanus. That's pretty amazing. But how in the world does all of that tie to this idea of partnership? Well, Paul is writing to the Corinthians here as brothers and sisters in Christ, those who've been converted in the power of the Spirit. And in writing to them, he highlights the example of Stephanus. This, this converted man, this follower of Jesus, this, this man whose entire household has been converted as well. And as we see in the rest of the passage, this was a man who was devoted in serving the church and also someone who re refreshed both Paul and the entire Corinthian church. And Paul writes that just as Stephanus has served and submitted to others, the rest of the Corinthian church was to do the same back to him, back to Stephanus. And as Stephanus has refreshed the church family in Corinth, the church was to recognize him for what he was doing. So Paul has firsthand knowledge of all that Stephanus is and is about, but so did this church. This church could, could look at his life and see that uh, all that had happened, that the conversion in his life was not just some verbal declaration that he had made or some mental assent that he now kind of you know, I rationalize and believe. No, there was clear evidence of spiritual fruit that was having kingdom impact on the Corinthian church. And let's be clear here as we commend Stephanus the encouragement from Paul to the Corinthians to follow Stephanus' example is only possible because of the work of the Spirit in Stephanus' life. It's not about Stephanus himself. Even though it might seem like an obvious point to us, we have to confess just how impossible it would be for you and for me to try to live this thing out we call Deniston Baptist Church. We can't live out church on our own. I mean, obviously, you're right, well, yeah, there's, the word church means there's multiple people. But what I mean is, it's how many times have you and I tried to either do things on our own or do things in our own strength? I know I have too many times, but that is futile. It's, 
it's worthless. We, we need one another to have our Sunday gatherings, our outreaches, our prayer times, our missional communities, men's and women's gatherings. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to carry out those things effectively. And that comes when you and I are truly converted or redeemed or saved. When we have taken our whole life and banged it upon Christ Jesus and who he is and his work upon the cross and his resurrection, our salvation is everything. It completely changes who we are, enabling us to become trophies of God's grace and giving us a fresh and new perspective on life. This change in our lives even affects the things that that you wouldn't normally consider or or what some would consider to be mundane. Listen to what 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody says about his own transformation and how it is that God completely changed him. He says, I thought the old sun shone brighter than it ever had before. I thought it was just smiling upon me. Do you know I fell in love with the birds? I'd never cared about them before. It seemed to me I was in love with all creation. Now, that may or may not be something like what you experienced when you first came to faith. Uh, if, you've, if you've even come to faith yet, um, maybe you're here exploring Christianity. Maybe you're watching tonight, thinking about things, asking questions about Christianity. Uh, maybe you've been culturally a Christian for most of your life, but you've never truly made this your own faith. Either way, we can all take encouragement from the fact that when God saves us, he changes us. He doesn't leave us the same. And if God changes us, then others will be blessed by the changes that take place in our lives. J. John, the evangelist, uh, tells the story of coming to faith as a young man in his 20s. And his own mother, an atheist, looked at the changes in his life and said to him, you've been brainwashed. And his immediate response was, yes, mother, my brain has been washed. (laughs) That's the reality for each one of us today. To be saved is to completely be washed clean of all the unrighteousness so that God looks upon you and he looks upon me and he sees Christ instead of me, instead of you. And all of that allows us to live lives that glorify God in the present through his promised Holy Spirit who now dwells within us and empowers us day after day. And this is why I encourage anyone here tonight who's who's not believing, none of this will make any sense until you come to the place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross so that he transforms you from the inside out. He changes your heart and your mind and your life. He gives you new desires, a new hope, and a glorious future. Until you make that decision to follow him, even though you will always be absolutely welcomed and loved and accepted in this church, It'll be very difficult for you to connect with what we're talking about and what we're doing as we think about the mission of the church. And that's because the reality is you don't have a new heart yet or a new mind yet to perceive what God is doing within the life of the church. So partnerships, they begin with this like-minded and like-hearted conversion. And that leads us to the second ingredient tonight of partnership, which is something we've already touched on. Uh, number two is devotion. Look back at verse 15 again from our passage. Passage. Paul says to the Corinthians here, Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. Devoted themselves. That phrase, having devoted themselves to serving the saints, man, what an amazing challenge that is for you and for me. 
How can we not be challenged by that? If, if, if two people were to sit down around a table with you and have a conversation, and one was a part of this church, and they knew you really well, and the other was, was new to the church, and they didn't really know you at all, and they were to be, begin to ask you questions about your life, and they were to begin to ask you, not really in a gossipy way, but in a loving, earnest way, what are you like? What's your life like? Uh, t- tell, us, tell us about yourself. Would they say this about you? that you are someone who has devoted yourself to serving the saints. We just saw Paul say this about Stephanus to the church in Corinth. And without question, I, I believe that there would have been many that would have heard the description of Stephanus within the Corinth church as someone who devoted themselves to serving the saints. And they would have been greatly challenged and encouraged by the statement. But if you and I imagine for a moment that Stephanus was someone who lived in Scotland in 2022... And his reputation in the church in Scotland was someone who devoted himself to serving the saints. There'd no doubt be a number of people who would hear that description and they'd think to themselves, and that guy Stephanus is on the verge of burnout. And he just needs to slow down a bit. He needs to make sure he's taking that Sabbath. But Paul didn't highlight Stephanus' devotion to the church as a negative. He highlighted it as a positive and yet, why is it that some of us would struggle to see this example as, as a positive thing? I think one of the key reasons for this difference is that we have seen the testimony of other believers in the past, or even the testimony in our own lives, be such that we've done as Stephanus has done, but at that same time, we've not been resourced as Stephanus was resourced. Now, too often we find ourselves operating from a place of trying to do ministry, trying to serve, trying to work, simply to live out the Christian life from the strength that we have within us on our own instead of the strength that comes through lying on the Spirit. When you see God move in and through any person in the pages of Scripture, both the New Testament or the Old Testament, what's the one characteristic, the one defining thing in their life? The Spirit of God is leading them. The Spirit of God is empowering them. The Spirit of God is using them to fulfill His divine plan and purpose. Spiritual burnout and collapse often occur when we try to do the Lord's work when we first haven't been resourced and strengthened in the Lord by His Spirit. So, we should look at this idea of devotion in a very positive light. As we see it here and elsewhere in Scripture, But we should see it as a positive while recognizing that it is God who will give us absolutely everything we need to do to serve him well. And that's why you find some people in ministry very, very busy, but very, very happy. Because the issue is not primarily about whether or not we're busy. The issue is whether or not we're taking those times away from the busyness to be alone with God. Finding our rest, not in rest itself, but finding our rest in God and in His strength that He gives to us through His Holy Spirit. And this is an important part of partnership. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you must partner with this guy, Stephanus, because he's a spirit-empowered servant of Christ, fully and completely devoted to the saints. And imagine Denison Baptist Church, that we all walked into this week as brothers and sisters in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, filled with Him. And imagine we all chose to devote ourselves to one another as Christ chose to devote Himself to us. Think what kind of unity would exist at that moment. 
Think what kind of partnership would take place. And think about how God would powerfully display the gospel to those around us who don't yet know him. And just in case you're still on the fence about this whole thing of being devoted and working hard in this way, and you're still not sure about whether or not you should do this or should live like this, take take a look at these words from Paul as he wrote to the church in Rome. Romans 12.10 says this, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Some translations say, be devoted to one another in love. Church, this is how, uh, is this how you would describe your life toward people who sit around that table? Is that how you would describe your whole lifestyle towards each and every one of these people? Not Not just your favorite person in the group, but to everyone. Without question, the more devoted we are, the more we will be in a loving partnership together. And that brings us to ingredient number three. So we've seen conversion, we've seen devotion. Number three is submission. Let's let's look at verses 15 and 16 together now. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. Essentially, Paul says, Corinthian church, when you see the devotion that Stephanus has when it comes to serving the saints, and when you see the devotion of people like Stephanus, make sure that you submit to him and to others like him. So what is it that Paul exactly means when he says, submit to Stephanus? The biblical definition of submission is more general kind of sense to to come under someone's authority. And we don't know if Stephanus was someone who had authority within the Corinthian church. There's no mention of a title, of a role, that he was an elder or a pastor or a deacon or anything like that. What we do know was that he was someone who was saved, who was devoted, he was committed to Christ, he was committed to the body of Christ, the church. And so Paul says at the very least, this is a great example of Christian living, submit to him. When we hear the word submission, we are often culturally triggered. I mean, it's like alarm bells go off to think that there's just one verse in the Bible that we've got to wrestle with. Ephesians 5.22, which says, Wives submit, to your husbands and, uh, Wives, submit to your husbands unto the Lord. But there are loads of examples of submission throughout the Scripture. It's not just a marriage issue. And I'll give you three quickly. One, men and women are called to submit to government and to elders. Secondly, children are called to submit to their parents, which I remind my children about all the time. Three, servants are called to submit to their masters. And probably one of the most overlooked verses on this subject of submission is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where again Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Submission, at its heart, therefore, is not to look out for our own interests, but to look out for the interests of others. And though that applies to those who are in authority over us, it, all, it applies also to those within the life of the church who are serving us well. There should be a spirit of submission amongst the church family as we surrender our wills to the wills of others for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. And when we do that, we are displaying what's an incredible, powerful picture of Jesus to others. 
at the heart of all this is the example of Jesus. I mean, he, G, Paul goes on in that Philippians 2 passage even to unpack how Jesus was humble and how he submitted himself. Jesus submitted to the Father, not begrudgingly, but willingly to take on flesh, to live amongst us, to live amongst fallen people, and ultimately to die for our sin. Unless we think that this was a passive thing or there was nothing difficult for Jesus in all of this, consider his words in the garden on the night that he was betrayed. Luke twenty-two forty-two says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Michael Kruger notes this about the subject of submission, particularly as it relates to those who have authority over us. He says, when as Christians, both male and female, deny ourselves and submit ourselves to those in authority over us, we are doing something distinctively Christ-like. Whenever we say, not as I will, but as you will, we are acting like Jesus. I don't think there's anyone who's part of DBC who looks at our church and how everything operates and how everything fits together and all the, all the workings and goings on, and, and we think that everything is exactly how we would want it to be if we had complete control over everything. It's just a, a given. But would it be right if the church was exactly how I want it to be? Would, it, would that be right? Or as elders, how Paul and, and Mark and I, how we wanted it to be or how, how any of us wanted it to be? That wouldn't be right because for that to happen, you, me, us, we would all miss out on displaying what would be an important Christ-like characteristic, submission. Sometimes things will happen in the life of the church. Decisions will be made. Um, and you could push back on that because it's not what you want. Or you could trust the character of the person who's pushing forward with it and say, I trust them. I trust God. And I trust God at work in them. Let me just say, this is not for us elders to, to twist or to, to lord it over you so that if someone were to disagree with us and what we say, that we could say, oh, but... Uh, you're not submitting in on November 13th. Remember that sermon we <laughs> preached? No. It's for us to consider others as more important than ourselves and in doing that, displaying spirit-filled submission. And when we display this, we demonstrate what true and effective gospel partnership looks like. And that brings us to our final ingredient for gospel partnership tonight. Recognition. Look at what Paul writes in verses 17 and 18. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present, because these men have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore recognize such people. Uh, some speculate that maybe these three guys, potentially these three guys, were the three that delivered the letter that Paul is writing this letter in response to. So they would have spent time with him and served him in that way. But we get to see these two other guys come into the picture now, Fortunatus and Achaicus. And here Paul speaks to the fact that these men have been such a blessing to him that they have refreshed his spirit. And he also recognizes that this is consistent with how it is that these three men have been towards the Corinthians themselves. They have also refreshed the whole church family. And this word refreshed that Paul uses here, it means to be given rest through their ministry, Paul was allowed to recharge, to recuperate in the Lord. We all know how hyperactive Paul was just from, you look at Acts, you look at his letters, you see 
how he was continually praying for the churches. He was continually thinking about the churches. He was continually teaching night and day to the point that people are falling asleep in windows and falling out and dying and Paul's having to bring them back to life. You know, that, I mean, he's keeping up the pace and yet these guys are able to minister to him in such a way that he can recharge. And so Paul wants them to be recognized. Perhaps a public declaration of what these men had done. Perhaps a statement of thanksgiving towards them for the ways they devoted themselves to Paul and to others. Perhaps even a financial gift for how it is that they had directly supported Paul and Corinth in their ministries. But as he's recognized them before the church in Corinth, he's asking them to also recognize them before others outside of the church before Paul himself. And you almost get the impression that Paul is concerned that if he doesn't say this to this church right now, then these these three individuals won't be recognized for all that they're doing for the Lord and for the church. There are so many people in our church who, who work hard behind the scenes every single week to make the life of the church go. And of course, it's easy to see those of us who stand up here and have a more public role, who do music or have our prayer time on Sunday mornings or who preach. But there are many, and I mean many people, who never ask for credit, who never take credit, even though they work very hard and their work is very crucial to the life of the church. This shouldn't be difficult for us as a church family. And I would, man, I would hate to be in a church that did not constantly recognize and give thanks for one another for all that we do for each other. And one of the clearest ways that we, that we will uh, head towards disunity and division is to choose not to give thanks and not to recognize, not to encourage, not to affirm one another. And don't fall into the trap of saying, well, you know, I don't want to cause them to stumble. I don't, I don't want to, like, cause pride to well up in them by, by giving them praise. Well, if that were to happen, that's between them and God. It has nothing to do with you. Your job is to recognize to give thanks, and to let God do the rest. So this evening, as we close, I want to encourage you to, to, to think about all those areas of ministry that we have as a church and to think, listen to this list. I'm going to read them off to you. And to think about all the volunteers it takes to make these things go. Administration, buildings, children and families, cleaning, finance, gardening, hospitality, media and publicity, men's ministry, missional communities, outreach, pastoral care, prayer, preaching and teaching, the Ridgery Project, pastor and staff, tech, women's ministry, worship, and youth. It's a pretty extensive list there. I want to invite you just to take a moment to think about specific people who are involved in those areas of ministry people who serve day in, day out, people who give of their time, their resources, their talents. And I want to invite you not just to give thanks to them as you pray. Pray for them, but don't just pray for them. Actually message them and say, man, thank you so much for serving, for doing what you do for our church. Thank you for for all that you do. You are a blessing to our church, and we're so grateful for you. You're such an example to me for how you serve the Lord. I invite you to do that this week as a means of just recognizing one another and as an important ingredient of us partnering together for the sake of the gospel. So we've looked at recognition. We've looked at submission, devotion. It started with conversion. All those things are essential to this thing we call partnership. 
And as we close tonight, we want to just create some space to respond to all that we've, we've looked at together. And, uh, it might be the moment tonight that you're considering what it means to follow Jesus, and I would encourage you in that. If you have questions about that, to contact us, to speak with us. We would love to have that conversation, to answer any questions you might have. But maybe tonight you need prayer for something, and we'll be here to, to pray with you over you know, anything that's going on in your life. We would love to do that. But tonight we're going to respond in song and to recognize the one who allows this partnership, and it's Christ, to praise him, to worship him. And as we do that, let us just commit to, to love one another well, uh, to partner together well. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift of the church. Thank you for the body of Christ that we get to live life with. What a gift it is to have brothers and sisters to encourage, to be encouraged by. Lord, what a gift it is to be equipped and challenged, to be built up by one another. Help us to do that well. Help us to partner well. Help us to be devoted to one another, to recognize one another. Lord, help us in our endeavor to, to live this life out, to do it together and not as individuals. We love you. We are committed to you and want to follow you. Make us more like you as we, as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.